0: Uh, And that is okay. And I want to uh, get started right off the top and do some introductions. This is Piper Ditzler. Uh, She's our worship pastor at the Northwest Church, uh, north of Seattle, about 20 minutes in Linwood is where we're at. In a little bit, uh, she's going to help us illustrate some of what we're talking about. Uh, This is Max Candless back over here. Uh, He happens to be my nephew, but more importantly, he's an amazing musician who is going to be uh, playing alongside And this is Mike Van Tyne that you're gonna hear from in just a few minutes. He's an elder from my church. He's an alumni of Pepperdine University. And he wrote a book that was originally entitled Confessions
1: of a Church of Christ Elder.
0: Confessions of a Church of Christ Elder. And they made him change the title. And what is it now? Journey to Joy. The Journey to Joy. Doesn't that sound so less acidic and abrasive? (laughs) I like the first title better. Uh, but we're going to go with it. Okay. So let me tell you what, and my name is Chris Goldman. I'm the lead pastor of the Northwest church, uh, north of Seattle, about 20 minutes in Linwood. It is a merged congregation of Christian church heritage, independent Christian churches and churches of Christ. I'm a born and bred acapella only church of Christ kid. Uh, so that just needs to be the backdrop a little bit. So you understand where we're coming about. If you are in this class, you may or may not be familiar with a couple of terms of technical and adaptive change. Uh, Canoeing the Mountains, uh, a book that was written, by the way, by Todd Todd Bolsinger, who gave us permission to use the title as well as the book during this class. Uh, Really super nice guy and lives in Los Angeles area. As a matter of fact, Uh, when we asked him if we could use it, uh, it's because he deals so good with these two terms. So let me just kind of give you a nuts and bolts way to define it Uh, for an independent Christian church. That's been using a guitar or a keyboard or an organ for worship and they decide to add drums on stage. That's a technical change. They've already gotten used to the idea of worship instrumentally. They're already there. It's a technical change. An adaptive change would be a Church of Christ who's decided to add instruments into their worship service. That is a complete paradigm shift. And so Todd does a great job of taking these two terms that are floating around leadership circles, both in secular and in the religious world, and helps us understand how these come into play with where we are. This class is gonna be about history and heritage. We're gonna talk some about that. It's about disorientation and reorientation. And I believe in experiencing things more than just hearing information on them. So we're going to experience some of that today. It's about comfort and discomfort. How many of you like to be intentionally made uncomfortable? Well, good, because I'm a master at making people feel uncomfortable, even myself. Uh, but comfort and discomfort are subjective. And one of the things that scares me is that comfort and discomfort seem to be in the driver's seat of most churches today. Let me say that again. What concerns me is comfort and discomfort seem to be in the driver's seat of leadership in most churches today. And understanding that before us is a world that we have not seen, cannot know, and are addressing without tools that are no longer effective. And if there's a key phrase from what I love of Canoeing the Mountains, this great book, it's this, nothing behind us has prepared us for what is ahead of us. Let me say that again. Nothing behind us has prepared us for what is ahead of us. Now, why that's important is, We are living in a time where American Christianity has seen an acceleration in every numeric measurement at an accelerated pace so far ahead of any predictions that even the models of what took place in Europe that were terrifying church experts 10 and 15 and 20 years ago are being exceeded. Not slowed down many people said yes America will follow Europe in its decline of churches and of Christianity. That's true But it's going to be small compared to what Europe experienced what we are seeing unfold right before our eyes Is us heading in the direction of Europe faster Than the models that uh, show what Europe did and in the churches of Christ If you're not familiar with this, I'm I'm gonna give you an email to send out right now. So get your devices out. This is a device friendly class, or if you're taking notes, if you would like a report, a recent report that came out on the statistics that have bearing on Churches of Christ specifically, email Tim at team I-M-P. Did that just go off? It did. Well, that's a problem. Uh, that might be a real problem, actually. Uh, Max, do you mind exploring, seeing if there's a remote for the projector, that little controller, has something to do with it? Uh, team IMP, Inter- interim ministry partners.com. So, Tim at team I-M-P.com and say, uh, I want the report on churches of Christ. And they'll send it to you. Uh, those who were involved in it, discovered just a couple of years ago, you might ask her out there because I think they're the ones who got it all set up. Uh, that as they were preparing it, they had no idea how tough it was going to be. And this class is going to be a bit autobiographical for me and for one of my elders, Mike Van Tyne, and also somewhat with my worship pastor, if I throw her some curveballs. And I'd just like to ask, how many of you would like me to see, uh, throw a couple of curveballs to Piper today? Yes. Awesome. Everybody wants me to do that. So Piper, we will do that. Mike, come on up real quick. And uh, Mike, I, I wanted him to share something that when he was preparing this book and he told me he would be available for my class, I asked this question. If you were to sum up some of the shifts that you've experienced from the days in Pepperdine to now, how would you describe those shifts? And I want to remind you of a statement you made about about coming out of a knowledge-based or informational-based heritage that gave you little to no credibility to experience or spirit or the
1: unknown. So just
0: talk about that a little bit from your heart.
1: Graduated from high school in 65, and went to Europe, came back to Pepperdine, and we had a revival on our campus. If any of you have ever heard of the revival that happened at Asbury College, that is a very similar thing to what happened at Pepperdine three years earlier. And it started in the Churches of Christ because of campus evangelism movement. And I followed that for years, and it didn't take more than a year or two before the Brotherhood squashed it because there were non-Church of Christ elements that were coming in. We were thinking a little bit differently. We were actually experiencing God we actually got to know Jesus. Jesus had risen from the dead, and we got to know him. And then we found, of all things, that we were beginning to hear from God himself. It wasn't just opening the book and hearing from God, but getting up from a church pew and getting specific directions, go share with someone. And then arguing with the voice no I don't want to talk with her I don't like her and then as you funnel out of the church biddle and you're right next to one another and you end up having to talk and it's a nice conversation and you get back to the dorms and the question comes now was that so hard and this is not me talking to me this is God communicating and that became a very real thing. And we all began to experience that together. So we were having fellowship on campus. And it wasn't something that we were learning in class. And so we had to rethink everything about our background. Mm-hmm. And it was fun being able to go talk with the professors on campus. Went to J.P. Sanders and asked him a question. Is it OK? Is it? Kosher for us to be able to experience the Holy Spirit outside of the written Word of God JP Sanders the Dean at that time Took a deep breath and said yes You can hear from the Holy Spirit outside of the Word of God, but it would never be contrary to the Word of God That was good news Amen. And then getting a chance to go talk with another one of the deans, uh, Dean Howard White, there's a building named for him right up the world here that I just walked past. And my question to him was, what about millennialism? That's
0: not about millennials,
1: Just clear. <laughs> yeah, you gotta just keep your humor, it's 350. A Thousand Year Reign of Jesus uh-huh. on the Earth. And he said, oh, there was an excellent debate that was held you know, sometime, and it's in the library, and you can go read it. And there was so-and-so from the Church of Christ, and there was so-and-so, and and I think he was Baptist. And I read the entire thing. And remember, this is probably spring of 1968, about a year after the Six-Day War. Mm -hmm. And the main point that the Church of Christ guy had was that there would never be a nation of Israel again. God was done with Israel. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting there saying, and this guy loses the debate. Scripture was right, he was wrong, I think I'm gonna go with the other guy. And it was things like that. You're just questions that would come, and then being kind of directed to different professors around the campus that would be able to give us answers that were different from what our tradition had to say. And yet when you push beyond the tradition, what kind of receptivity did you find? It depended on who I was talking with if i went to somebody cold turkey and just started talking more often than not it would just go right over their head but if i felt prompted to go talk with someone about something it was a fun thing to find out how well we communicated because it seemed like i was speaking direct to what was happening in their heart and it was because of being directed of the lord something i'd never experienced before
0: Amen. Let's thank Mike for this. And I want to tell you a little bit more about Mike. Mike is constantly annoying me with uh, unthought, untracked, unpathed, if you will, uh, adventures in Christianity he's experienced. And it's really interesting to have an elder who does that all the time, who constantly reminds you that what you thought has been may not be. I want you to remember this phrase over and over and I say it. What is behind us has nothing to prepare us for what is before us. And we're going to understand that a little bit more. So uh, Todd Balsinger, in his book, he has five simple moves. And he talks about one day a few years ago where three friends all resigned from their roles as pastors on the same exact day. Uh, Two of the three, if I remember right, walked away from ministry completely completely for the rest of their lives. They wanted nothing more to do with it because here's the push. We've got to grow. We've got to get bigger. We've got to expand, expand, expand. And yet what they were observing is they were already seeing the numerics declining and they were seeing seminary simply didn't prepare us for what was ahead of us. Have you ever wanted to quit something? How many of you ever wanted to give up, right? Well, uh, I will tell you that recently uh, we did something that most church experts will tell you to never do. We relocated out of one community to another, moved from a neighborhood to the marketplace, left one facility, built a brand new facility, rebranded at the same time, and all of that happened over the last six years. And I didn't realize it had been six years. It feels like it's been two years because it's been compressed intensity. And during that time, I found myself wanting to simply give up a couple of times. And I don't know if you know this, but 80% around there of lead pastors or senior pastors or preachers who take their church through a building program, either quit or get fired within one year of moving in the new building. So those of us who take a church into a building program, we kind of know this could be your death knell. And here's what I've learned about it that I know is true. It's nothing against the preacher or preachers that are being asked to leave. It's that you have a compressed energy in a congregation with a lot of friction and tension, and there has to be a tension release somewhere. And the easiest release valve is where? In your pulpit person. So I'm blessed that our elders have surrounded me with support where that didn't happen. But during that time, I had a couple moments where I just wanna kind of throw in the towel. But uh, I was reminded that at age 29, I took the preaching role for 14 plus years at the Cordova Church Christ in Sacramento, great church. It was a great experience for me and my family. And during my time there in those years, we actually saw that church double in size. It wasn't because I was there. It was that God was doing something pretty amazing. And we were holding on to heritage in one hand and the cultural pressure with the other. But I had a dream for cross denominational unity. And that has driven me my whole life in ministry. Little did I know that this passion for cross-denominational unity would carry me to the place where I am today. And we'll get there eventually. But this discussion is about a journey to be explored and experienced. The book Canoeing the Mountains is based on Lewis and Clark's expedition to explore the newly acquired Louisiana Purchase And it was built on a completely false expectation. They believed like everyone before them, that the unexplored West was exactly the same geography as the familiar East. And this is the story, Todd would say in his book, of what they did when they discovered that they and everyone before them had been wrong and how instructive and inspiring that story can be for us today. There are five basic moves in the book, and we're gonna cover three or maybe two and a half today. The world in front of you is nothing like the world behind you. No one is going to follow you off the map unless they trust you on the map. In uncharted territory, adaptation is everything. You can't go alone, but you haven't succeeded until you survive the sabotage. If you wanna understand what that is, you gotta be back tomorrow. Everyone will be changed, especially who? The leader. And in this case, I would say, because we're congregationally involved, this means the leaders of our churches. And the first move is this. The world in front of you is nothing like the world behind you. I want to read an excerpt from the book. As he stepped off the map into uncharted territory, Meriwether Lewis discovered that what was in front of him was nothing like what was behind him. And that what had brought him to this point in the journey would take him no further. Lewis faced a daunting decision. What would he do now? Lewis and Clark and their Corps of Discovery were looking for a water route, but now they had run out of water. How do you canoe over the mountains? Now, if you've not read the book, let me kind of just give you a little taste of it. What, they had 300 years of history and Jefferson called 300 experts around the globe to meet and they were all convinced and agreed upon one thing if you trace the, head, the headwaters of the missouri up to its origination point you would be able to pull the canoes out of one river walk maybe a few hundred yards maybe a couple of miles you'll find the western flowing headwaters and you could take those canoes put them in there and you would be able to canoe all the way down to the pacific ocean the problem was, and there's this beautiful moment in the journal, where they've been going back and again. 300 years of explorers have never found the headwaters of the Missouri, and they they dip down and they're taking this cold mountain spring drink before they were going to crest over this mountain. And they were they were sure that this would be like the Appalachians, that they would cross over maybe three hills and they would see the new river that would take them to the Pacific Ocean. And they, jur- they journaled it as they crossed over that rise, the Rocky Mountains opened up before them. And Lewis and Clark had never seen anything like it. And they were the foremost explorers of their generation. There was nothing like it. Some of the groups said, let's carry the canoes as far as we have to carry them and put them in the waters. And Lewis and Clark were saying, you can't canoe the mountains. You can't do it. So Todd uses this illustration for this book. He says, you don't canoe over the mountains. If you want to continue forward, you change, you adapt. Weather Lewis looked at the miles and miles of snow covered peaks and knew that to continue his journey, he would have to change his entire approach. The same is true for all who are called to lead beyond the boundaries of what is known. We go through a personal transformation of identity and mission intention, and we go from being river rats to becoming mountain climbers. Listen to that. We go from being river rats to becoming mountain climbers. We keep on the course with the same goal, but change absolutely everything required to make it through this uncharted territory. We ditch the canoes, we ask for help, we find horses, and we cross the mountains. And when the time comes, we make new boats out of burnt trees. You let go, you learn as you go, and you keep going no matter what. I love that language. Okay, so here's what i want to do is talk about the first move. The world in front of you is nothing like the world behind you. A few years ago, as the Northwest Church was revisioning, remissioning, and opening uh, our languages, we built a community center where a church happens to meet. And I was aware of this powder keg of energy that caused 80% of lead pastors to lose their job. And I was wanting to give up, Kim, my wife who's in the room, leaned over, she calls me Goldman, so you understand. She leaned over, she said, Goldman. You've been preaching about this vision since you were in your 20s and now we're living it. It's all coming true and I needed the reminder. But if you'd asked me at age 29 when I began preaching in front of crowds about unity, cross denominational unity and really stepping out of our comfort zone into what was ahead of us, if you'd asked me that I'd be working with a, see if I can say this right, female worship pastor with a background in the messianic synagogue movement at a merged church utilizing instrumental worship while still loving and enjoying my acapella heritage when possible, I'd have said you were stretching even my imagination. But that's in essence what happened. So I want us to experience this. I want to ask them to come up and get positioned and ready. And I want to talk a little bit about who Piper is uh, and who we are as a congregation I want, to under, I want you to understand that I know that I'm about to make you uncomfortable with some of you, and that's okay. Uh, I have with us one of our former elders and one of our current elders in the classroom. And i just use it for just a minute more. Uh, last summer, our actually last spring, our worship pastor several years let me know. That he was winding down. He said, I promised you one year it's been three and a half, and it's time that I'm uh, going off to do my other stuff. So I began putting fillers out everywhere I could asking, does anybody know somebody in the area that would be a part-time worship pastor for us? Uh, there's a lot of people who want to be a full-time worship pastor. We just do not have the money. And one of the people I knew uh, shot me an email back and said, I know exactly who you need. And her name is Piper Dixler. At first I thought it was a little bit of a joke. Her email is Sweet Pipes. And it threw me off. I was like, you know, this person setting me up for funny. And I started engaging in conversation with Piper. Uh, so, Piper, how would you describe your spiritual journey? Because you weren't an a the Messianic synagogue your whole life. Oh. So, can you give them like a two minute over, overview?
2: Sure. I mean, I grew up uh, kind of in a non denominational way. My parents went to Presbyterian, my parents went to Baptist, we went to a Methodist church. Uh, I kind of just embraced all of the denominations as all of the same things, especially as a kid. You don't know the nuances and the differences. And so I grew up as a good Christian kid and, you know, loving God and and seeking God. I mean, earnestly, when I was in high school, I was really involved with Young Life and in college as well. And um, as I got older, I had a few years of doing my own thing, uh, <laughs> thats part of living life and learning, um, but when I really came back to the faith, I was hungry for more. I was hungry for more than, you know, just what the things, the, the simple truths, I guess I would say, that I had always been told. Um, just the surface of Christianity and the Bible stories, and so I I ended up really becoming interested and immersed myself into an interdisciplinary study of the Hebrew Scriptures. And I spent many, many years studying the entire Old Testament. Uh, I went to Israel. Um, and so when Chris found me, I was a worship leader of the Messianic Synagogue, which is it, it's like a Christian church, but there's Jews and Gentiles who believe in Messiah, but we hold to all the biblical feasts and festivals Passover to um, the, the Feast of Trumpets and Pentecost, which is Shavuot, and we meet on Saturdays. And so it's much more, um, how would I say, it? it's Old Testament and New Testament focused, but with a real hunger and desire to know more about the Hebrew roots of our faith. So we, we call Jesus Yeshua, um, and we use a lot of Hebrew words. And when Chris called me, I, I was not looking for... <laughs> I wasn't looking for the opportunity, uh, but it's been incredible. I'm, I'm in love with Northwest, and I'm so happy to be re-submersed into more of that Christian culture, but with a completely different viewpoint, I guess.
0: So she's here getting an immersive experience in the acapella roots of the Churches of yes. Christ. Yes. Uh, and she's really getting immersed in that really quickly <laughs> over the last 24 hours. But I felt like she needed that to have a week. She doesn't have a rental car, so she can't leave <laughs> So uh, it's a lot of fun. So what they're gonna do is they're going to uh, sing here two songs and then we're gonna have a song at the end. And these are not just for worship. These are for experience. The first song you're gonna think you're well equipped to sing and I warn you to follow the leader or you will sing it wrong. Uh, And those of us who come from congregational singing backgrounds, we just jump in and we go. And if you do that here, you will be embarrassed. Okay. The second one hopefully is a newer song to almost everyone in the room, perhaps not. But either way, I wanted to experience a disorientation and a reorientation through music and the power of it. And I will also say this about the unity movement. Um, I get asked really interesting questions. And one of the interesting questions I got asked when we were hiring Piper and people began to find out that one of our three candidates was from a Messianic synagogue. Somebody said, so she's from a synagogue. Yes. And said, uh, do they have any Christians that attend the synagogue? And I was like, what? They said, well, Jews aren't Christians. And I said, well, the apostles were. And it was funny looking at the look I got. What? The apostles were Jewish Christians. I thought Jewish people were non-Christians. I said, a whole bunch of Jewish people are Christians. They're Jewish. My last name's Golden. Come on. You know, (laughs) give it a break. But a lot of times what happens is we are so isolated and sheltered from the greater Christian world, we think we're the only ones. And I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. But with that said, I'm going to cue up your first line, and I'll make some adjustments on the sound as we go. Okay.
2: or you'll get
3: this song really fast. <laughs> For
0: is learning to enjoy sila, or selah out of the psalms, the pause in which the congregation literally listened or took it in. And we took that out, even though it's biblical. And reclaiming that has a profound effect on understanding what we're actually seeing. Now, I don't know if this song is familiar to everybody. Uh, I thought it was. I saw the title and thought, oh, yeah, Lionel Lamb. But it was new to me. So we're going to sing that. I'm hoping it's new to most of you. So here we go.
3: He's coming Our God is land, the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world.
0: constant deals we, uh, issues we deal with at Northwest is complaints about the volume in worship. And, uh, yesterday we were sitting down through all the acapella settings and Piper leaned over and she goes, I don't want to hear any more complaints about volume at our church. <laughs> oh my goodness. You acapella people have it cranked so loud. It's really interesting how the experiences change you. For example, Mike grew up with the biases that largely could be characterized by anti-assembly of God movement. On the other hand, I grew up with my grandma who was an assembly of God person growing up. And she went to seek someone who would baptize her and her pastor wouldn't baptize her. So she kept walking down the street to little churches and said, will you baptize me, baptize me. And guess who the first one taker was? church of Christ I was really one one yes from growing up Assembly of God growing up Baptist growing up independent Christian growing up a number of different denominations it just so happened the first preacher to say yeah I'd be glad to baptize you happened to be the Church of Christ minister and from that point on that was my family's experience experience can create disorientation and disorientation I contend is not only good it is necessary in our current climate comfort can feel good but it allows for autopilot to kick in as well and I'd suggest to you that autopilot days in Christianity in America are done over half of all adherents who are attending a Church of Christ in America today are attending a church with an average attendance of 34 people. 91% of all Church of Christ adherents today are attending a church of 250 or fewer. So do the math between 55% and 91%. And there's a huge bandwidth of churches, about 150, 200, that are on rapid decline. Uh, we believe that between now and 2050, there would be a drop of half of the congregations during that time. It's looking like that drop can happen in the next eight years, from 11,700 churches to below 6,000 in the next eight years. And by the way, Northwest Church, the hills, the hills, all of them are still considered in the grouping of churches of Christ. Okay. We have got to understand that those numerics are not just in the churches of Christ. They are across Christendom. The world in front of us is nothing like the world behind us and resurrection of historically effective approaches will likely have diminishing impact moving forward. And yet I see churches doing it all the time. Let's resurrect the way we did youth ministry 30 years ago. Let's just bring that back. Let's revitalize the men's ministry. Let's revitalize the women's ministry. Let's have 16 singers instead of eight singers on the stage. And we keep playing around with, as they say, rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. Rather than dealing with the issue that is at hand. The church, and I'm not talking about the Church of Christ. The church in America is in a fight for our life, and we're spending all of our energy talking about technical change and not saving any bandwidth for the necessary adaptive changes in order to survive. The name of the game is not, no longer growth, it is survival, and we better survive together. What worked way back then probably won't work. And you want to know why? Because our world has changed radically and it's not just uh, topical changes. These are deep philosophical changes. Second thing is no one's gonna follow you off the map unless they trust you on the map. And we have a serious trust issue as do all churches, but I'm gonna talk about our trust issues for a moment. Churches of Christ and other churches, and by the way, we didn't know other churches were saying the same thing, were telling their members, we're the only ones who got it right. Guess what? If we know anything today, we know that no one church group ever have had it all right, whatever it is. And when logic and information are the basis of your faith, Then removing one step, or if you imagine it being a house of cards that's carefully constructed based on logic and information, all it takes is how many cards to bring the whole thing down? One card. You pull out one card and it's all gone. Every church is experiencing this. And that's what makes it more than serious for us. People aren't leaving the churches of Christ. People are leaving church. The Catholic church hasn't helped anything. It just spins out year after year after year, this cover up, this problem. And even though if I were to take a poll in this room, say, how many of you have a favorable impression of the Pope today? It would be above average people. go, Yeah. One of the best Popes we've ever had. He is in complete damage control, nonstop at the Vatican. And this is a global issue. It didn't help that last summer, Bill Hybels, one of the great heroes of our American era in faith, completely had his ministry disheveled within one year, one news cycle over things that are completely inappropriate and yet are probably part of churches all across America. And the credibility and the trust issues go deep. But within our own fellowship, many people, especially young people, have lost trust in what we said were gospel truths that turns out simply aren't gospel truths. Style of worship was never a gospel truth, never should have been a gospel truth, and certainly never should have been a test of fellowship. Here's one of the saddest days. I I teach anecdotally. Here's one of the saddest days in our heritage. There was a time, did you know this, before the Civil War, where the Restoration Movement giants would stand outside of the unairconditioned conditioned Deep South churches, and they would debate God's Word in the grass around the church building. And when the church bell rang, you know what they would do? Oh, let's pause this debate, and let's go worship God together. And one day, post-Civil War, Somebody said, "If you can't agree with me on the lawn of the church, you can't walk into the house of God and worship with me." And the divisiveness that came from that attitude we have yet to recover from. One of the things I have found very easy to do, you might be surprised. It's very easy for me to worship with Piper. She has a cool name, great voice. But we have nothing in our heritage similar except for a very few things. We believe in God, we believe in the Bible, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, all that kind of stuff, but those are small issues, right? (laughs) You get the point? We have taken technical changes and we have made them the core of fellowship rather than the adaptive changes necessary to navigate what is going on in our culture and our inflexibility hasn't served us as well as well in this regard we have an inflexible nature built within us how many of you were here last night when we were listening to metro church lead worship come on raise your hands how many of you knew that we should have been standing how many of you knew let me see it yeah i talked to daryl after i said can i tell you something He said, what? I said, white people won't stand unless they're told to. He said, I looked out there and saw fate stand up. And I realized, oh, I forgot to tell these people to stand up. Because he worships in churches. that guess what? You can be moved by the Spirit and rise to your feet and clap and sing out with heart. And nobody looks at you. I stood before anyone else stood on one of the songs. And people were looking up at me like, should you be doing that? He didn't say you could do that, and you're saying, "Going, what are you talking about? That's such a little thing." Our inflexibility, even within that, does not bode well for us. If we can't handle energy and cross denominational ties within worship, we have little to no hope. So we are in an uncharted territory, and adaptation is everything. And I want to tell you about two things we've had to adapt to at the Northwest church. We uh, had a member come up to us and say, hey, I got this thing I want you to do. Uh, they call it barbecue basics and it's about smoking meat. We're gonna have a smoked meat day at church. They wanted it to be a men's event. So it's a men's event last year, this year it's a men's and women's event. And I said, so tell me about this thing. And they said, we bring in two grand champions from the Food Network's uh, barbecue champion and they train us how to cook five meats. We start at six in the morning and we go till nine at night and at 6 p.m. all of our families show up and we'll eat all this meat and we're going to barbecue on average 25 pounds of meat per person and we're going to have four people teams out there with smokers. They're going to be in the parking lot and sitting there going, well, I'm all about smoking meat. This sounds exciting for me. I'll believe it when I see it and we're going to charge $90 to do it. It's like, all right, let's do this thing. 77 men signed up. Uh, almost half were members of the church. The other half were friends and neighbors and Boeing workers and people that heard about it that showed up and they said, they were just out there going, I can't believe the church would let us smoke meat on the parking lot. We had smokers going up and I just kept telling people, this is why the temple was sought after. This is the original burnt offering. This is what it smelled like. And we forget that. You want to talk about what the burnt offering smelled like? It was barbecue, people. It was what you smelled. It was an aroma that went up to God. And he says that his people are an aroma that go up to God. We are the greatest smelling barbecue to God's nostrils. I would have never believed it was going to be successful, but I was glad it was because now I get to do it next year. Or in May 18th, to be precise. Another thing I didn't know about that hit us kind of sideways was a thing called Rooted. How many of you are familiar, familiar with Rooted? Okay. Only people from my church. Okay. Everyone in here needs to write this down. You need to become familiar with Rooted. R-O-O-T-E-D. Rooted. Pastor in Nairobi at a megachurch in Nairobi, mind you. I didn't know there were megachurches in Nairobi because my bias was that, well, you know, they, all people live in tents and huts. All that kind of stuff. Big, fancy mega church. He was in charge of taking in and helping get new members settled in. And uh, he, he, he was talking to us. We were down in Mariners Church in Southern Cal uh, last spring going through training. And he happened to be in town giving a report to the elders. So they asked him to come tell a story. He goes, I don't know if you guys have this problem in America. Uh, he's Kenyan by birth, just so you know. He's not a, a transplant American. And he said, uh, in Kenya, we have people that will go from church to church to church, looking for just what they want to find. He said, do you guys have that problem in America? And we were all like, are you kidding? Yeah, so imagine that the world is the same all over the world. And he said, so my job is to bring new people in, get them to place membership. Do you guys do place membership? Everybody's like, yeah. Because it never works. You have as many people leaving as you have coming in. You can't keep track for everybody. So he said, I just told everybody, I'm not gonna do it anymore until I figure out what I'm gonna do I'm not gonna do it ever again. We had a young 19 year old American uh, missionary doing an internship over there for one year. And the intern's job was to give him the list of people from Sunday morning service that wanted to place membership and had to meet with them in order to do it. And so uh, one day after this guy made the comment, I don't want anybody uh, giving me names to figure out what I'm gonna do. It was a couple months in, the intern thinking I'm gonna lose my job walked up and handed him a stack of papers with 25 names on it and said these people are going to meet you tonight at 5 pm I did my job and left So the king he goes I was so angry at him I decided all right just fine I'm going to tell him exactly what I think So they showed up that night and said Do you want to be a member of this church they so said yeah I said okay Here's what you're going to do. It's going to cost you the equivalent of 55 American dollars to do it first. It's going to cost you 10 weeks, during which time for five days a week, you're going to do an hour of homework every single morning to start your day. And then you're going to meet with me for two hours after you've done your homework. And we're going to discuss what God is doing in your life and what God needs to do with your life. On week three, you're going to pray by yourself for a full hour or more. Then you're going to pray with us for a full hour. And that's at the end of a 24-hour-plus fast. And then we're going to talk about it and unpack it before you get to end your fast, eating the food that we have brought in and is right there for you to smell. On week six, you're going to go serve an entire half day in your community with people that aren't Christians at all, And you're gonna go out there and do it and if by the way if you want to agree to this you can't be part of it you can't miss more than two classes and at the end of it we'll have a celebration banquet he said I was so proud of myself I was just sure they're gonna walk up and leave get up and walk out all 25 signed up paid him the money in the moment and got on their phones and signed up about 15 more people remotely because they decided that this was worth investing their time and money in. rooted is now reached, has now reached over 20 different languages and 120,000 plus people all over the globe. And it is a move of God that really finds its birth point in the independent Christian church in Nairobi. It is getting to the roots of who we should be. And if you had told me two years ago that our most attended Bible study experience at our church would have been something people had to pay $42 to go to for 11 weeks involving homework and serving and fasting and praying. I would have told you you're out of your ever-loving mind. But over the last two quarters that we've run it, we do two sections a year in the fall and spring. Out of a church of 500, of which maybe we have 370 adults, 170 adults have now gone through it. And we're already amassing our third list of people who want to take it we have to learn to adapt and try things that we've never tried nothing behind us has prepared us for what is ahead of us but what is ahead is ahead of us well it's the rocky mountains i want to invite piper and uh, max to come back up and i'm gonna uh, share one more thing with you and then we're going to end with this song how many of you know come taste and see that the lord is good i love this song Uh, And one of the things I love about this song is it reminds me that when Jesus said, this is how they will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. And when his final prayer for his followers was about unity among his followers, he envisioned a kingdom that was not made up of divided parts but a kingdom that was made up of one united people. And unfortunately, what I view as the greatest unity movement in the history of the modern era of church, the restoration movement. It found itself becoming one of the most divisive movements in the history of the church. And as it's always true, when we get stripped down to nothing, we have a chance and an opportunity to build back to something better than we've ever been before. And I believe as the American church gets whittled down to virtually nothing, God's people in his kingdom are gonna rise up and see that the goodness of God does not disappear. It actually is recaptured for the first time in a long time. One of the great quotes, and I apologize, I don't have Christopher. Christopher, somebody said it. I don't have it on my notes right here. Is this? God does not need a mission for His church. He needs a church for His mission. We've spent enough time trying to come up with a mission for the church, rather than being a church. It's fulfilling God's mission. All right, so this one, everybody except for you two, I'm going to ask them to stand. I just think it's important.
2: Psalm 34, 34.9 says, Taste and see how good Adonai is. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear Adonai, his Kedoshim, his holy ones. For those who fear him lack not.
3: Love. Amen.
0: sit in my experiences, as well as what's ahead of us, what's going to be required for us to let go of the canoes and become the mountain climbers God needs us.